Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Yesterday we began our series on prayer and we looked at the importance of prayer if God is going to use our lives for any eternal ministry. And I looked at the discipline of waiting on God, the discipline of waiting before the presence of the Lord and, and, and communing with the Father and allowing the life of the Spirit and, and that life of the relationship with, with God the Father and His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to really permeate our life. And it's out of that quiet place of, of communion and fellowship with God that all of our other service is going to spring from. The service, the effectiveness of your service will be proportional to the time that you spend in intimate communion with the Father. And that's a daily discipline that, that I'm, I'm exhorting you and encouraging you to develop. So the first attitude that we're, we're looking at in prayer is the attitude that we need to trust in God and not in ourselves. And our trust for God is really expressed by a lifestyle of prayer. And that's from Luke 18.9. The second bad attitude that we want to continue with this morning is the attitude of viewing others with contempt. If you view others with contempt and think that somehow you're above people, then you are in a place where your prayers are not going to be effective. Because God, who is the most perfect and righteous person in all the universe, He looks at people with love. And He loves people who are in rebellion to him, those who spite his ways and curse his name, God still loves people. And there's a temptation that in our self-righteousness, and that's all it is, it's a self-righteousness, it's certainly not God's righteousness, that we would come before the Lord and begin doing like the Pharisee in, in this parable that Jesus gave us in Luke 18. He began saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I tithe, I fast. I keep the law. I do all these good things for you. Aren't I a good boy? And Jesus' reply to that was that the man who humbled himself and simply beat his breast and said, I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. The Lord said that that man went down to his house justified, and the Pharisee did not because he was looking at others with contempt and was exalting himself. And prayer warriors are not proud people. Prayer warriors are men and women of humility because humility is the way that we approach God. And we need to be guarding ourselves that when we start praying for those whom God has given us charge over, that we don't begin to bring our frustrations into our prayer time and, and start saying, oh God, these people that you've given me, you know, and, and oh Lord, you know, they're just not responding. They're not responding to my leadership. They're not being committed to core groups and to fellowship and to discipleship. And all of a sudden, we begin lifting ourselves up. And it's like saying, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not like other men, you know. Or, or why aren't you doing the things that I'm calling upon you to do? We need to guard ourselves against that pharisaical mentality. Because we are no better than anyone else. One man described it this way, that we're just one beggar telling another where we found bread. And that's our posture before God. We've been partakers of the grace of God, just as everyone else will come to God in the same way. So humility is our key to approach God. And if we're going to come in humility, we need to love people. You need to love the people you're praying for, whether they're like you or whether they're not like you. God loves them, and we need to have a real love in our hearts. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, All of you 
Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So we need to humble ourselves, having the right attitude towards people. Many times you're going to be in situations where where people are not doing what you think they should do. Maybe the local church isn't supporting the campus ministry like you think that they should. Maybe the district has no interest in campus ministry at all, and you're trying to cultivate some interest through your communication and sharing with them. And there's a tendency for us to start lifting ourselves up and saying, man, we're sure better than they are. You know, we're, we're, we're where it's at, and they're just kind of in the dark ages somewhere. And you guys, that's looking at people with contempt because God loves those people. Even though they might not have the same vision for ministry that we do, God loves them. And we need to guard ourselves against a critical spirit towards any in authority. We need to guard ourselves against a critical spirit towards any ministry. We need to love the other ministries that are on our campus. God has, has, really, has really worked with me in building relationships with the other ministries on our campus. And we started about eight years ago, and we've got good relations with Ivy, with Crusade, with uh, the Baptist Student Union and the Navigators. We've got five evangelical groups. And we meet for a prayer breakfast every month. We cooperate in, in when we do something large together on our campus. And we've got good staff relations. We enjoy being with each other. And we're not threatened by each other. We're not all the same. They're not all charismatic. But we recognize that we're all there for the same cause. And we just recognize that God's going to send different people to different groups. That Not one of our groups could meet all the needs on the campus. And so... We're not threatened by each other. If someone doesn't like our group, I, I encourage them to get committed to Crusade or InterVarsity or the Navigators. And when one of their people decides that they need something more in the area of worship, then they're free to say, well, why don't you go to Maranatha Fellowship? And see, we're, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trust there. And, and that God is able to bless that because we're not in competition with one another for, for converts, but we're there working together for the glory of God. And, and that has spoken a lot to our campus, and that has promoted the cause of Christ. And that begins in our, in, our, in our attitudes towards prayer, towards them in prayer. Are we there to bless them? Are we there to, to ask God's richest blessing upon them? Or are we looking at them with contempt? God is not pleased when we do that. We always need to guard ourselves against spiritual pride that would say, I'm better. Or campus ministry is better. We kind of pride ourselves thinking that campus ministry is kind of the growing edge of what uh, the Assemblies of God is doing today. And Almost everyone else is kind of sitting back in the dark ages. That simply is not true. And if we entertain thoughts like that, we're exalting ourselves and we are not, God is not pleased with that and we are hindering our effectiveness of prayer. Another attitude that we need to have as a leader and as a prayer warrior is having the attitude of heart purity. We could do a whole message on this. I'm just going to briefly cover it this morning. In Psalm 66 and verse 18, David says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And that, what that says to me is that if I walk with God with unconfessed sin in my life, with deliberate, willful, stubborn rebellion against something that God has revealed to me, then I cut off my prayer life with God. Because I cannot be an effective prayer warrior and walk with unconfessed sin. I'm not talking about ignorant kind of sin. I'm not talking about the things that, that we do out of ignorance or out of blindness. But I'm talking about the willful intent. And I think that's what David is getting at here. Because in, in the general sense, we all miss God's mark every day. Because we're not whole and perfect as Jesus is yet. 
But on the motivational level, we can attain uh, perfection and, and purity by having our intent right. And it's, boy, I don't know about you, but it's enough for me to deal with the God, with the things that God makes me known, you know, when, when he makes known in my life. If I deal with those, I'll, I'll be doing okay. And a leader must have a pure heart. And a prayer warrior must have a pure heart. First John 3, 3. John says, everyone who has this hope, and that's the hope of seeing Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. So our response as we behold Jesus and as we see him more and more is we're going to cultivate a heart, a pure heart before God. And that means we're honest with God. We don't, we don't come to God and are, and are dishonest with him. We simply tell him where we're at. If we don't feel like praying, we tell him that. Lord, I, I just don't have a lot of desire yet for prayer. And I'll, I just want you, I'm just confessing that to you and I'm, I'm asking you to work and help me to change that and change that by your grace. The same with sins and temptations and desires. Be honest with God about those things. You know, you don't need to play religious games with God because he knows this far better than we even know ourselves. If you're being tempted in an area, Lord, I'm being tempted to go out and smoke cigarettes, talk to God about it. You know? He knows about it anyway, but, you're, but the honesty is good for you. And it's at the point of humility and honesty, see, that God begins to meet us and he begins to give us the grace to overcome those things. James 5.16 is an encouraging verse for us because James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And a righteous man or a righteous woman is a person that's walking with God and, and is responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit at any given moment in their lives. That's what a righteous man is. An unrighteous person, an unrighteous Christian is someone that's pushing off the conviction of the Spirit and is saying, no, God, I'm not going to deal with that. God's been speaking to you about, about not stealing cookies anymore. And you're going, uh-uh, I'm going to steal cookies anyway, God. And I'm going to still walk with you, but I'm going to steal cookies. And it's playing those kind of games with God. Things that you know God's dealing with you and he wants you to give up. And you're just kind of playing like you're not hearing or you're pushing it away in some way. Or just directly disobeying. And then you see, we break our fellowship with God and we lose our effectiveness in prayer. So that's part of the cost of, of walking as a prayer warrior is to have a pure heart before God. Now let me give you some practical hints that will help, I think, some things that have helped me in my prayer times. First of all, schedule a specific time and place for prayer. I find that I need to make prayer a part of my daily schedule. And as I set up my schedule quarter by quarter and uh, do the things that I need to get done, I schedule times of prayer right into that schedule. Whether it's in the morning, afternoon, or evening, I schedule those times in and I schedule a place where I can pray. A place is important because you don't want to be distracted. And I don't know about you, but the telephone can be one of the most distracting things in my life. So I try to get away where I, I either tell my wife that I'm not taking any calls for that hour and I'm not, I don't want to be interrupted except for an, a dire emergency. Or I just get out, go outside or go to a place where there is no telephone and I can be with the Lord and not have the interruption of people the interruption of telephone, because our time with God is that important. So I suggest that you do that. And start with a chunk that you can handle. It's like if, if, if you don't have a real consistent prayer time, then make it your goal to say, Lord, I'm going to start with 15 minutes with you. See, take something that you can handle. Because if you start setting goals of an hour, hour and a half, two hours, 
you're, you're just not going to make it. And then you're going to get discouraged and kind of throw in the towel and say, oh, fool I can never be a prayer warrior. So start with something you can handle because God can always increase it. And you go along for a couple weeks and you've successfully had 15 minutes and it's spilling over to 20 and 30. Then you can lengthen that time. And you can do it in a way that, that's going to strengthen you and, and it'll increase your prayer life. So you don't, don't start off with, with a goal that's too big for you. And we just have to be humble and admit where we're at. And if I don't have a consistent, real consistent prayer time, a, you know, a, a specific time in the day where I'm scheduling for prayer, then I suggest you start with 15 minutes and work on that for a while. A second hint is a prayer schedule. This is something that I have found to be very helpful to me in my own life, and that's to make some kind of prayer schedule to give you different subjects, different needs to pray for on a given day. Because sometimes when I was a young Christian, I used to sit down to pray, and I'd think, oh, Lord Jesus, I need to pray for all these needs. And I'd pray for my parents, prayed for my family, my cousins, people I was burdened for, and then I had my unsaved friends. And then, oh, Lord, I'm supposed to pray for the United States. And I pray for the United States. And, oh, Lord, I'm supposed to pray for the nations. So I pray for the nations. Then I pray for the missionaries. And then I'd remember this, and I'd remember that. And pretty soon, I had this prayer list about a mile long. And then I would start thinking, when I would go into my prayer time, I would think of that prayer list, and I'd almost, I don't want to go to prayer, man, that's too long, you know. And it almost got to be overwhelming. My, my, the, the little prayer agenda that I had set up became overwhelming for me. So this uh, breaking a schedule down into a, a daily priority thing really helped me because I had different priorities each day, and, it, and my prayer burden then became much more manageable. Something that I use is that I, I have different emphases for different days of the week. And on Monday, I concentrated my prayer time on the United States, my nation, according to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, that we're to pray for all those in authority. I believe that praying for our nation is, is a biblical injunction. Praying for our leaders, praying for all the people that are in authority over us is something that's it's a biblical commandment that is given to us. And, that, and in order to faithfully discharge our prayer responsibility, I think we need to incorporate that. So I, I pray for the United States as well as for other things, you know, but that's one of my concentrations. On Tuesday, I pray for my family, and I've got a, I've, I've got a lot of um, kind of cousins, and, and, you know, my family's gotten, gotten bigger through marriage and through um, my brothers and sisters getting married. So I've kind of embraced them and say, Lord, these are my family now, and so I'm holding them up before you. And then on Wednesday, I concentrate on our fellowship, on our Maranatha fellowship. Thursday, I pray for another nation. That's the day I pray for Russia. Russia's been my target nation for about eight years now. I've had a real burden to pray for the country. I've taken some, I've done some study, a little bit on the language. My wife and I were there in 1980 and spent three weeks in the Soviet Union and uh, got a, a brother that I've been working with that is, has a real burden, and I think he's going to end up working in Eastern Europe and Russia on a, on a, on a continuing basis. And so God's uh, really stirred my heart for that particular country. And so I pray for them. On Thursday, on Friday, I have a list of unsaved friends that I pray for, as well as, as different things on different days. Different people have gone out from our ministry and are, are working um, in, in different ministries, different missions, um, endeavors around the world, and I try to faithfully pray, pray for those. For example, Daryl and Paul are, are, are working with a Chi Alpha group there in Green Bay. They just started this January, and so um, I pray for them. I try to pray for them faithfully each week. You know, last night uh, in our prayer meeting, by the way, I wanted to commend you. It was a good prayer meeting last night. I sensed a 
a good, we were entering in together. And uh, Jim and I were just chatting a bit this morning as we were walking to breakfast. And, and he mentioned that it, it, was, it was like we could sense almost the beginnings of travail as we were just there together. And like the Holy Spirit was wanting to birth something through our prayers together. And I think this is the whole dimension of corporate prayer, which we're going to look at tomorrow. But I wanted to commend you. That was a good, excellent time of prayer. And I appreciated the, this the way all of us by choice entered into that time. I believe that's what one of the keys to making an effective prayer time. One of the prayers that we prayed for was for laborers, that God would thrust laborers into the harvest. And that, that verse is, is one of the foundations for, for God calling me to Montana State University in 1975. That's one of the, one of the, the scriptures God gave me when I sought him. When I, when I became campus minister, I sought the Lord and said, God, what do you want for me there? You have a purpose for my being there, and I need to have some understanding so I can, I can, I can forge ahead. And that was one of the things that God gave me. And in over the last eight or nine years now, we've had 17 people go into full-time ministry and today are working around the world. And, and I, I say that to the glory of God that we can believe God for the impossible. Now, I look back at that and i just kind of amazed by that. Wow, Lord, thank you, Jesus, you know. And uh, may it be 170 by 10 years from now or maybe five years from now. So we can believe God for bigger things. But, but you guys, God will take us seriously if we set our hearts to do his will. We're going to see fruit that remains. We're going to see the desires of our heart as we're praying for Boston and for the cities in the Northeast. As we maintain a posture of prayer and a burden for those places, we are going to see breakthroughs in those places. Hallelujah. That's exciting. I want to share that with you as an encouragement. On page six of your notes, there's a sheet here that I got from Jim Bradford when he came out and gave us our prayer seminar. And this is um, his daily supplication guide, and he gives some guidelines for setting up a, a Monday through Saturday prayer, um, uh, prayer uh, sheet or prayer list. And he has three areas that he prays for every day. First, for um, the, the, uh, the things that are happening in your day, for the coming day. And then an exchange where we lay aside our strength and appropriate God's power for the day. And this is the place where we listen for instructions, the whole concept of waiting on God. And listening for the word of the Lord for any particular thing that God would want to do. And then praying for authorities. And, and I assume, Jim, you're talking about specific authorities each day. Like one day maybe for the president, another day for political leaders. Like your congressman, maybe for state and local governments. And then the fourth area of influence where you're praying for your family, friends, church, schoolwork. And then the fifth area of extension, missionaries, nations, um, people that, that have been sent out, just missionaries that God has aligned your heart with to pray for. And it's just a way of kind of keeping track of all that. And remember, when you use a prayer list, you guys, you're the master and it's the slave. Don't, don't let it become the master and you become the slave. It's simply a help to pray. And if you get there that day and God pr impresses you to pray for something else, pray for that. See, don't be in bondage to a prayer list. It's simply a way of praying that, that gives some, some form to our prayer time so that we're just not kind of sitting there trying to think of things to pray for, you know. But we have some burdens and, and, and things that God has put on our heart, and we're able to target in on those. This list will change from time to time as God begins to change and alter things. So it's, it's not a static thing, but your prayer list is always going to be growing and changing. And as things get answered, things are going to get taken off, and new things will get added and it's just, it's just a vehicle to help us to pray more effectively. Last night, the reason why I had Howard put all that information on the blackboard is that, that see, that became our prayer agenda. 
See, otherwise, we would have probably sat there, and, and one or two would have let out, and, and we'd probably sat there for a half hour just kind of praying, each one of us just praying on our own. And, and see, it would, have lacked, it would have lacked some form and direction, but the prayer list simply became a, a little roadmap that we wanted to cover in prayer. And as different ones of you let out, and we, we kind of ran through the whole gamut of the different needs and things. See, the Lord was able to use that and, and anoint that and give us some direction in prayer. I'm, I, I'm convinced some people get frustrated with their prayer life because they don't have direction. They just don't have like a roadmap to follow, and they, they just kind of get frustrated with it and then throw in the towel because they don't have a real sense of direction and purpose. And I think a, a prayer schedule can sure help do that. All right. Another area, another practical hint is the area of fasting. Not much is spoken about fasting today, and I, I think because of our, our uh, American lifestyle of convenience and comfort, fasting really roars against that. And I believe fasting needs to be a regular discipline in our lives. You know, John Wesley would not ordain a minister who would not fast twice a week until 4 p.m. He would not even ordain a man who wouldn't fast till, uh, for at least from the morning to 4, twice a week. And that shows the, uh, his, his view of how important fasting was. And so I want you to encourage you to make fasting a regular discipline in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to fast once a week or that you have to do anything. But you just need to seek the Lord, and you do what he, he tells you to do. I, I have, for the last couple of years, have been in the habit of fasting on Wednesdays, because that's the day of our fellowship. Um, and I just have found that's a good day for me to take a side with the Lord and just forego um, eating on those days. And, and, and I have found that when, when I forego food, there's a sharpening and a quickening of my spirit with God's spirit. There's a real benefit there, and it's like I'm tuning in my spirit, and I'm able to humble my soul as David says, that's one of the functions of fasting. And I'm able just to walk with God in a, in a more clear way. And then I, usually once a year, I take a, a period of, of, of days, sometimes up to a week or, or, or more, of, of just taking a whole time aside to seek God. And I found that to be a very, those are very, very special times and, and where I'm able to get away and, and really hear from God in new and fresh ways. And I've also seen real, Dynamic answers to prayer, things that you know you pray for, and it, it just don't have the, it just doesn't have enough oomph to get the answer through. And when you go to fasting, it's like God is able to add, and we are just able to get into the position of being more effective in our prayer. Remember, fasting is not like a hunger strike. We're not trying to go on a hunger strike and force God to do anything because that's not what fasting is. Fasting is for our benefit to humble ourselves. It doesn't impress God. God's not impressed by hunger strikes. But he is impressed with uh, loving adoration and those, those people who would humble themselves before him. And that's where fasting is at. Um, again, it surprises me how many ministers do not fast at all. Talk to a lot of ministers and things, and a lot of them just don't fast at all. And I think that's a reproach upon the ministry. I think that the Bible makes it very clear that if we're going to enter into a disciplined lifestyle, that fasting needs to be a part of that. And how much fasting you do is determined between you and God. There's no legalistic standards. I don't want you to fast once a week just because some of us do that. I want you to be led by the Spirit, and you do as God leads you. And that way it'll be life to you. And then other times, remember part D, is that we need to have concentrated seasons of prayer. So we, Jim was, was, was mentioning last night, that, that, as, that as God wants to work a new truth into our fellowship, sometimes it takes two or three years for us to really integrate that and make that part of our lifestyle. 
And I think that's, that's true and that's a realistic thing. And before times of, of where God wants to give us a new direction, a season of prayer is, is very appropriate. Before our Northwest Salt Conference, which happens in September, which kind of launches our year for campus ministry, that's the time when I take several days in prayer just to launch our year, and that becomes a, a good launching pad. And I always like to take some time in praying before SALT starts. Um, when the new quarter starts, we're on a quarter system. Some of you are on beyond semesters. But when you, when you get a new quarter or semester, that's a good time to take a season of prayer, a day of prayer, and, and really concentrate to, to launch the new, the, the new period of time that's coming. I've got a mailing list of uh, over five or 600 people now that have been in our fellowship over the years. And... I, when I send out a newsletter, I'll, I'll like take a half a day and take my mailing list and go somewhere quiet and just pray through my mailing list. I don't get to do that very often, maybe once or twice a year is all. But I'll do that just to, just to keep in touch with these folks that I, I've had some uh, relationship with and some, uh, they, they're, they're important to me because they've been my friends and, and in our fellowship. I've been their pastor to some degree. So I take my mailing list aside and pray through it. And then the phone list. We have a phone list that we put together the first few weeks of the quarter for, uh, so people can get a hold of each other and, and uh, know who each, who each other are. And I, I, I sometimes take the phone list and it'll just, in my quiet time, pray through it. Just go through it. And some of the folks I don't even know, I can't even put their name to a face yet, but I just hold them up before God and ask God to work in their lives. and Just use that as a, a vehicle to pray. Another hint to praying is pray the Word. Pray the Word of God. Sometimes... The Word of God becomes a, a, a great uh, roadmap to pray from. George Mueller, the great man of, of prayer, the man who established many orphanages in, uh, in England, he used this method, and, for ni- and at the age of 90 years, he bluntly declared that he had never had one unanswered prayer. And he prayed the Word. He would take a passage of Scripture, and in his prayer time, he would just begin praying it, and then the Lord would lead him to pray specific prayers from the Word. And I believe that's a, a good kind of praying. When we pray, we need to use the Word of God. We need to use the Word of God. And that's, that's always, we're always on safe ground when we pray the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to incorporate the Scripture into your prayer life. God, you said, and I heard some of you last night as we were, as we were uh, reaching out to the Lord in prayer, some of you were saying, God, you said this, and, and then quoting the Scripture. And as, you know, and as we go into a time of prayer, it's good for us to remind ourselves of the promises of prayer. It's good for us to say, Lord, you said that those who ask would receive, those who seek would find, to those who knock, it shall be opened unto them. Lord, thank you that you're faithful to those promises today. Lord, thank you today that the prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. And as we just affirm that, and it's like speak those out, they become more real to us. And we are, we're like encouraging ourselves in our prayer time. And we hear you know, the word um, broadcast into the air by our own voice. And that, that's an, oh, a sense of encouragement. Like, yeah, this prayer really does work. And we need to encourage ourselves sometimes. And so pray the word. And then finally, make your prayers specific. Make your prayers specific. We need to, be, we need to learn to pray in, in a specific way so that we can see the specific answer. It's like setting goals. We need to set specific goals and goals that are measurable. And sometimes, I know I've been guilty of this, I pray things that are kind of so general that it's, it's hard to really see an answer. Like when you pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is a very scriptural prayer, and it's a, it's a prayer that's on God's heart. And yet it's a little hard to measure that, isn't it? You say, oh God, pour out the Holy Spirit on the campus. 
Well, it's a little hard, see, to measure that. Although that's a good prayer, that's in the category of a general prayer. Oh God, may the consciences of the students become sensitized to the sin that they're involved in. That's a good prayer. But again, it's it's kind of a general prayer. And and I, and I think the Holy Spirit will equip us and, and will teach us and, and as we as we cultivate our relationship with Him to give us specific prayers that will that will that will be able to see the answers. You know, like Lord. Give us one professor this year that will turn to you and have an influence on this campus. Now, that's a, see, that's a specific prayer. And as, as, if the Lord leads you to pray that and to hold on to that, and then when some professor gets converted, you go, ha-ha, there's our answer. And he starts having an influence on the campus. And that's encouraging. And I think part of the ministry of the Spirit is to help us to pray specifically and not just to pray in generalities. Uh, Cho, the pastor in Korea, uh, in his book, the fourth dimension he was talking about when he was, it was in the late 50s when he, um, he had been, you know, he was miraculously healed of tuberculosis. A little missionary lady came up to uh, him and prayed for him and God healed him. He was incurably sick with tuberculosis. The hospitals had told him to not come back because they couldn't help him. And he was there dying. His family had rejected him. And this little missionary lady came to him and told him about Jesus. And, and he was... Um, of some other religious background and just rejected it all. But she keep, kept coming and telling him, and, and, she, and he saw the love of Christ in her life. And one day she came and prayed for him, and he was healed miraculously. And so he became a Christian, started seeking God. And in his early years, he was asking the Lord for, he says, Lord, I want a bike, a desk, and a chair. And he just kept asking the Lord, Lord, I want a bike, a desk, and a chair for my ministry. And uh, finally, one day God spoke to him and said, well, um, or he's saying, Lord, why haven't you answered my prayer? And, and God said to him, well, what kind of bike do you want? What kind of chair do you want? What kind of desk do you want? And, and, and so Cho kind of was taken back and he says, okay, Lord, I want a Schwinn bike and I want a desk, an oak or some kind of wood desk, and I want a chair like the Americans have that you can lean back in. And so he, he did. He prayed that. And uh, about oh, five, six months later, this missionary couple was moving out of Seoul, Korea, moving back home, and he had contact with them. And they said, hey, by the way, do you want this desk and chair? And it was the same ones he had envisioned in his prayer. And, and that, there's, there's, there's a real dimension to that, of us being specific in our prayers. Don't just pray general prayers, but ask the Lord for specific. Ask God for specific people on your campus. Ask God for specific ways that he wants to manifest his kingdom. You know, when they went into the promised land, they, the, the, Joshua just didn't run in there and do his own thing, did he? But he went under the orders of the Holy Spirit. And the first city they took, they didn't go fight it with natural means. They went up there and marched around it for seven days. And on the seventh day, they shouted. And God pushed the walls in, and in they went and took the city. Then the next city, they, they had a different strategy. And that was true all through the promised land. And you see, we need to find God's strategy for our campus. We need to say, now God, where's the holes in the, in the gates of hell that we can slip into? So we need to find the weak foundations in Satan's kingdom, and then we can start chipping away at those. So we might not be able to move the big blocks yet, but we can carve a little hole and get in there and sneak in the wall, see? Because his, his foundation is crumbling and it's decaying all the time. And see, God knows the weak points. God knows the people that can be touched, that can, that can just spark a tremendous revival. And God knows the strategy. He knows how to open up the doors that no man can shut. But we need to seek God for that. And I, well, I want to challenge you to, to, cha- to find God's strategy in prayer. Find out, what Lord, what is it that you want us to do? All right.
The second area I want to talk about this morning, second area in prayer, and this is under Roman numeral number two, is the value of tongues. The value of tongues. In Acts 17.6, this is what was said about Paul. It It says, these men who have upset the world have come here also. That's the kind of reputation Paul had. Unfortunately, due to the fact that this series was recorded on a cassette tape, some content was lost. I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. He was a southerner, you know. Speak in tongues more than y'all. Right, Billy? <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> and I, I, I want us to, as, as Pentecostal believers, I, I feel there's, there's a lack in the Pentecostal church of the true use of tongues, and that, I believe, is in, our, in the place of our devotional life. And I think that sometimes the Pentecostal church has, has gotten kind of so big on the thing that you've got to speak in tongues, you've got to speak in tongues, and yet in the, in the private prayer closets, very few people are doing it. And we've lost the purpose of why, gave, what, why God gave that to us. And I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, pursue, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Our, our, remember, our, our posture towards the spiritual gifts needs to be that we desire them because we need them. Spiritual gifts are not optional play toys. They are essential for doing God's work. And so Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, there's the first fact about tongues. Tongues is directed towards God. It's communication that is directed towards God. For no one understands, at least no one here, God, of course, understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And what happens is that as we pray in the spirit, in in an unknown language, the Holy Spirit is articulating things that we need in our lives. And see, God, the Holy Spirit, is able to pray for things that we don't even understand in our mind, but that the Spirit knows. And, and I think we're going to be amazed if God ever lets us know what we all prayed in tongues for all those years. We're going to be amazed, you know. I like to think of it this way. Some of you are, are going to be looking to pioneer a new work and, and, or go to work uh, on staff somewhere as a campus minister. And, and so you're praying like this. Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm I'm going to be a campus minister. Therefore, I need $4,000 a month. I need a home home computer and a van for your glory. Hallelujah. So you're praying for those things so you can be be in style as a campus minister. And then you go and start praying in the Spirit, lifting up your heart and your language to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit starts praying through you. And, and, and And the Holy Spirit starts praying and the Holy Spirit says, Father... Don't listen to any of those prayers. <laughs> those prayers are all born out of pride and personal convenience and personal advantage. Oh, God, what he needs is to learn dependence on you, for that will be an eternal lesson. So, oh, Lord, use these circumstances to teach this brother to depend on you. So, the Holy Spirit prays what we need, you see. <laughs> Some of you are going to stop praying in tongues, aren't you? <laughs> See, God understands what we need. And that's what happens when we pray in the Spirit. And I believe that as, even as we pray for needs and, and people, and as we pray in the Spirit for them, maybe somehow God is praying even through us needs for them. You know, as we, as we, hold, as we just use the, the, the gift God has given us. 
So no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And then in verse 3, but the one who prophesies, now Paul is contrasting tongues and prophecy here, and he's making the case for prophecy because prophecy edifies the church, tongues edifies the individual. He's not saying tongues are bad, but he's saying that in the large group, when everybody's gathered, you need to do things that edify the whole body. He's not putting down tongues, though, as an expression of communication to God alone. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That means to build up, stir up, and cheer up. That's what prophecy does. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And that's the function I see of tongues, is tongues is like a spiritual battery charger. Tongues refreshes and strengthens your spirit. And all of us need to be built up so that we have something to give to other people. See, if you're going to have something to give to other people in your day-to-day life and in your ministry, you've got to have something in your tank. And if your tank is empty, you're not going to have anything to give anyone else. Praying in the Spirit is like filling that tank up. And then when God sends you to someone, you've got something of the Spirit and of life to give them. So we need to keep ourselves recharged by praying diligently in the Holy Spirit. Now understand this is only another form of prayer. I'm not saying to pray in tongues all the time. But I'm saying that this needs to be a part of our prayer life, just like waiting on God and using our prayer list. All of these things make a full-orbed prear life. And then in verse 5, here are Paul's desires for everyone. He says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. That tells me that the early church had some of the similar problems we do today, that everybody hasn't come into the, the gifts of the Spirit yet. And, and Paul says, now I wish that you all, would all speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edifying. And then he goes on in verse 14. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So the Holy Spirit, when we pray in tongues, our mind is bypassed. That was, all, that was an amazing thing to me when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, is that um, I could pray in the Spirit, and my mind was like in neutral. And I knew it was of God, because I knew that I couldn't come up with something like that and let my mind just be in neutral. I knew that what had happened to me was of God. By the way, when I uh, became a Christian and, and at the Barry McGuire concert, I got tied into this Friday night Bible study that met over at uh, uh, a fellow who, who was the best man at my wedding. He's a very good friend of mine. And these, these meetings, it was uh, a large living room, about 40 people, and there was intense worship and good teaching, and it was just real special times. And I remember the first time that I came, I heard all these people speaking in these other languages, and I thought, I thought, man, these people are real linguists. They knew all these different kinds of languages. I had no idea that it was a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit. As I was, I was totally ignorant of all this stuff. And so I just thought, well, there, you know, they're speaking all sorts of different languages. You know, maybe I'll get into that sometime. <laughs> and so I asked somebody about it. I, I just casually asked them after the meeting because I didn't want to appear to be too dumb, you know, about these things. So I just kind of made illusion. I said, you know, what's going on with all these people talking all these different languages? And they, and they told me that was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And see, I'd never heard the term, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So going back to my Lutheran upbringing, I thought of baptism. I thought, well, I was baptized as an infant. And so I kind of dismissed it. So I just didn't understand anything. Till finally, someone sat me down and started explaining from the scripture what was going on. And then I came into the release of, of my own prayer language. That was, a, that was a glorious experience. 
But we need to remember, a lot of people we're going to be ministering to know nothing <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. Or if they do, what's worse is they've, they have a real negative interpretation of it. And they, they, they've come from a very biased viewpoint towards it. So we need to teach people what the value of tongues is. And we need to teach them to integrate it and cultivate it, cultivate it in their lives. And then Paul, in verse 15, he says, What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the Spirit and I shall pray with the mind also. There's the balance. Pray with the mind, pray with the Spirit. And I shall sing with the Spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. So we both pray and sing in the Spirit and with the mind. And in doing so, we build ourselves up. Paul says, otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, so when you pray in the Spirit, you're giving thanks to God, but the other man is not built up because he doesn't know what you're saying. Then Paul says, I thank God. He's not saying, I thank God I have the gift. He says, but I thank God through the gift of tongues. I speak in tongues more than you all. And see, Paul is correcting an excess of the public expression of tongues in this letter. And yet Paul says by his own mouth, I speak in tongues more than you all. And boy, that says a lot to me about the value of tongues in a believer's life. And if Paul spoke in tongues a lot, then I think that we need to follow the same pattern. And in our private devotional life, as I'm driving down the highway, I pray in the Spirit. As I'm walking to school, I'll be quietly praying in the Spirit. And you wouldn't even know that I'm doing it because I just do it quietly. But I'm doing it because I'm building up that my, my spirit. I'm building up my fellowship with God. And there's a power that comes into our lives as we do that. I, boy, I exhort you to use that. In the next verse, verse 19, Paul says, However, even though I speak in tongues more than y'all, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul says, I'd rather speak five words that you understand in the public meeting rather than speaking 10,000 words that you do not understand. And I, get, and I think there we get a little bit of the proportion. For every five words that you speak in the public meeting, you need to be speaking 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And if you do that, see, if that comes out of a, of a corporate or a personal life of prayer, the five words that you speak in the public meeting, meeting are going to have meaning and impact in the lives of people. Sometimes when, you know, have you, you've been in, in the summertime, and, you know, in Montana we've got really good water, and our water's cold there, somewhere below 50 degrees, and it's good and refreshing water, especially around Bozeman. And in the summer, you know, I'll be out working mowing the lawn and want to go get a drink. And you go turn the water in the hose and you go to get a drink and you take a swallow and you, ah, yucko, because it's rubbery and it's hot. It's awful because it's stale. It's been sitting in that hose for a few hours. So what do you do? You crank the hose up and you let it run. Just let it, you know, and pretty soon the hose cools off and all that rubbery water gets out of there. And you take a nice cool drink and it's refreshing and it's, it's really good. And that's, that's the way our lives are. Our lives are like that rubber hose. And it's like when, when I haven't been praying in the Spirit, and when I get up to teach, when I get up to minister, what, what you're getting is old Schroeder water. Just getting that old stale stuff, you know? And everybody just kind of goes, yuck, that's no good. But when I've been praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to flow in our lives. And the Holy Spirit washes and cleanses and empowers us and strengthens us and then when I come to minister, it isn't just the old Schroeder water, but it's the new water, the fresh water of the Holy Spirit that comes out of our lives. 
That's what Paul's trying to tell us. He says, I speak in tongues more than y'all. Tongues, many times, I think, in the Pentecostal church is the buried talent. It's the talent that someone went and hid, put in the ground, said, well, I'm just going to give it back to Jesus when he comes because it is not being used. Sometimes the only time people speak in tongues is when they get in a service and things start getting a little emotionally exciting. And that is not a biblical use of tongues. You ought to be using tongues daily. And uh, like Jim Bradford says, tongues adds booster prayers or booster rockets to your prayers. And it's just something about putting little boosters on there and your prayers go charging up to the throne and crashing against the gates of darkness, you know. See, God uses that, and it was good. And when we're in a prayer meeting like last night, when, when we're all uh, believers together, I, I think it's appropriate that we will lift our, our hearts together in worship and in the Spirit. Now, in a public meeting, I'd be a little more hesitant to do that because there's going to be people that are going to come in and they're going to go, whoa, this is kind of weird, you know. And I think we need to be sensitive to new people. But when we have a believer's prayer meeting, I think that it's appropriate and right that we lift our voices like we did last night. There's a flow of the Spirit that's generated, and God's able to kind of knit all of our hearts together like a rope, and we're able to pray effectively, and and mighty things happen as our lives are harmonizing with each other. And as you practice the the discipline of, of, of praying in the Spirit, I think you're going to find that there's going to be an entrance into the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be more sensitive to be used in other gifts of the Spirit. And I think tongues is kind of... The, uh, the first grade, and from there we, we grow and we can learn and, and expand into the other gifts. So I want to leave you with that. I want to encourage you to, to pray much in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's look at one other area this morning, and that's under Roman numeral 3. And this is the, Paul's, uh, the prayers of Paul. The Pauls of prayer, how's that? The prayers of Paul. Paul has given us some tremendous examples for prayer. And I believe that we will do well if we will use these model prayers that are given by the Holy Spirit and pray them for ourselves and for our others. There's a man who came and spoke at Salt a couple years ago in in the Northwest. He's a a man who's um, had some amazing spiritual experiences. His name is Bob Cornwall, and he pastors the Salem Christian Center in Salem, Oregon. And he's uh, had many visions and understandings of the Spirit. He's quite quite a dynamic guy. And this one example he shared with us was is that he saw a picture of heaven and prayers were coming up to Jesus. And, and, there was, and they're like, in heaven, the answering plate headquarters of heaven for prayers was like a post office. And, and, and so Jesus was in there behind the counter and, when, and he was putting these, these packages on this conveyor belt. And this conveyor belt would go and drop them off and they would go down into the earth. And, and Jesus was back there putting these little packages wrapped in brown paper on, the, on these conveyor belts. And he, and he just was not very excited. He was sad looking. And, and these prayers would come in, and, and they were just these little brown paper packages. But then a prayer request came, and Jesus put this big box, and it was all wrapped with paper, and it was very beautiful, big. And he, and he was just delighted. And he put it on the conveyor belt, and it went over and dropped down into the earth, and then there was this big, this big cloud of praise descended from the earth back up to the post office. And Jesus was really excited. But then he got sad again, and he went to put in those little brown paper packages. And the understanding that God gave him of this, um, of this dream was that most of us ask prayers that are so small that all they are is little brown paper gifts. And Jesus, out of his great heart of love, wants to give us the big things, the things that are meaningful, the things that bring life. But because our sights are set so low on, on our prayers, 
that we're settled for just praying for, for Aunt Jenny's wart and so-and-so's need and this person and that person. Have you listened to most prayer meetings? What do we pray for? Now, I'm not belittling praying for Aunt Jenny and those personal needs in the body. Those are legitimate. But if it stops there, is the world going to be reached? See, do we ever set our sights a little higher and say, Lord, I ask for the Iranians who, who, you know, remember when the hostage situation? How many of you prayed for the hostages? You know, probably all of us prayed sometime. How many of us prayed for the 40 million hostages to Islam in, in Iran? See, we didn't hardly even pray for that. And see, we don't pray for the things that are on God's heart because we don't, we're just so limited in our vision. And Jesus is pleased when we begin to catch the vision for the impossible and can pray like, um, I think it was Hudson Taylor, the man who prayed, Lord, give me China or I die. Was that the right guy? He prayed big. See, he, 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 sets, he got a big box from the Lord. and said, oh, Lord, give me China or I die. And God wants us to set our sights high, to ask for things that are impossible so that he can, be clearly the, he can clearly give us the answer and it will be clear that God got the glory from it. And I think these prayers of Paul are examples of prayers that are very much on the heart of God. Let me look at just one this morning. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. And I think I have probably prayed this prayer over the last eight years several times a week, if, if, if not close to every day. And I pray this for myself, and I pray it for those in our fellowship, and I pray it for my friends, I pray it for my fellow ministers, because it's a, a prayer given by the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, Paul says, For this reason too, I, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Now, there's the heart of the apostle. God, thank you for the flock that you've given me. Thank you for these people that have responded. See, parts, um, heart, Paul's heart of compassion. See, he wasn't being critical. The Ephesians weren't perfect. But Paul was saying, God, thank you for the people in Ephesus that have responded to your kingdom. And he gives thanks for them while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. Number one, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of him. Paul says, I pray that you might know who Jesus is, that you might have a full revelation, a growing revelation of who Jesus is. And then in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling? And I think that has to do with your personal calling. See, your personal ministry, your personal task that God has for you to do. That you would know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then in verse 19, the third thing. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? See, that we would realize that all of the power of God is extended toward us. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because the one who has all authority has commanded us, we have authority and power to go and make disciples. And you guys, when you're going and make disciples, all of heaven stands behind you. When you pray, you can pray confidently because that's God's plan. His program is to go and make disciples. And when we're going and making disciples, we pray with confidence. And all of heaven stands behind us saying, Amen. Answer that prayer because that man or that woman is doing my will. 
See, we can pray with confidence for our campus. We can pray with confidence for breakthrough in the lives of our people because all authority is standing behind us and he's saying, go, go in my name and you have my power to do my work. See, the confidence that we have in prayer to do that. And, when, and you have that confidence when you are going and making disciples of all the nations. Hallelujah. That's a real encouragement to me. And so what I do is I've memorized many of these prayers and I pray them just I, it's, it's kind of a part of my nature now. I lift these prayers up to the Lord because I, I have seen what God has done in my life and opening my eyes to, to, to His Word and opening my eyes to His purposes. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just getting a little crack now. Prayed eight years and I'm just starting to get a little crack on the purposes of God. I'm getting a little peek to what the Lord wants. But oh, that we might have understanding. And I see so many folks, the, the younger folks that come into our fellowship and Man, they just don't understand God's purposes at all. And I just, you know, their lives are in darkness. They're, they're just starting to disengage themselves from sin. And so I pray for them. Oh, Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Let them know the hope of your calling and the surpassing greatness of your power as they believe you. And, and then as that happens, something dawns in their lives. And they begin to walk in the revelation of God. And God is able to give them personal vision, personal insight. And they're going to go and, and be effective in God's kingdom because they're, they're walking in something that God has given them, not just something that's part of the campus ministry program. It's not just part of the church program, but it's something that Jesus has revealed to them. And that with that comes the strength and the motivation to walk ahead. And boy, the church needs that today. People need to know what they're doing from, from the will of God, and they need to know from the Spirit of God. And I'd encourage you to, to take these prayers and memorize them and pray them often. Pray them for yourself. And pray them for the people whom you care and love. And see, the Holy Spirit gave them. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these prayers down. He, because he knew Jesus and the Spirit had, had just articulated these things through him. We know that these are God's will. We know beyond a doubt that these are God's will that he answered these prayers. So make them a part of your, uh, kind of your prayer repertoire. And pray them often. And I believe God will... God's going to give tremendous increase and he's going to give tremendous answers to those prayers. Well, let's stop there and we'll conclude our session on prayer tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.